This is Changeling the Podcast. Welcome to Changeling the Podcast. I'm for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with us is your other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. Uh, I forget. How does the Outer Limits opening thing go again? We control the vertical. Yeah. Something. Mm-hmm. What are we talking about today, Puka? Well, as indicated, we're going to be delving into television, that most democratic of media, or so it used to be claimed, and inspirational shows for Changeling. Mm-hmm. And we are doing shows that we are familiar with and have watched. Yeah. There were many suggestions on the Discord. We might mention some of them, but uh, there's a lot of TV shows out there. There really are. And, and neither of us have seen all of them. <laughs> I thought film was going to be the tough one, but like, man. Yep. Yeah. So I guess we don't need to explain what a TV show is, probably. <laughs> we're not going to get into like, oh, that was streaming only. No, we're not going to do that. I, th- I think it's worth saying, though, that TV, maybe more than any of the other media that we've been looking at in these episodes, has kind of changed the most in terms mm-hmm. of what it means and what it signifies and its sort of place in culture, as well as the way people consume it. Yeah, I'll actually go on our limb here and say of the popular media, TV is the most likely to sort of fit in structure to a role playing game. I'm not saying all TV does by any stretch. Mm-hmm. I mean, it also depends on a role-playing game, but the kind of games that Changeling talks about, World of Darkness in general, you know, you have continuing, not not episodic and there's nothing's connected to each other, but like it is a continuing, like just like sessions, you have episodes. TV doesn't always, but it can, it often has ensemble casts. And that's kind yeah. of, to me, what fits the most with how what you typically see in role-playing games versus, I mean, you theoretically could do that in a book or a comic book or something, but... Yeah, I think the episodic nature of it, too, kind of speaks to... I'll also go out on a limb. I almost want to say the most traditional form of storytelling. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I think about the length of time that a TV episode typically takes up and the length of time, if you were sitting around a campfire telling stories or whatever, that each person would kind of hold the talking stick or whatever, it does have that kind of... It's not blink and you'll miss it and it's gone, but it's also not, okay, I really need to pay complete attention for two hours the way you do with a movie. Mm-hmm. Some TV shows are like that, but generally speaking, when we talk about TV, I think that's the point of reference people have in mind. Yep. And that also kind of lends itself to the episodic, but also linked together nature of role-playing games where mm-hmm. session to session, different things are happening, but ultimately there's a single arc. Yep. Well, especially as we get into how TV changes over time becomes even more like a Changeling Chronicle versus a... We're not going to do sitcoms very much, you know. But... No, we could, but... Yeah, most 10 most inspirational sitcoms for Changeling Oh, It's going to be a bleak episode. Um... I could do like two, maybe. And one of them's not episodic. So anyway. Yes. Well, shall we get into it? Yes. So what's our first episode, first TV series? So first up is star trek deep space nine i will preface this by saying i grew up in a trek house Mm -hmm. star wars wasn't like 
you know, we, we had the VHS box set, but we were a Trek family. Same. And Next Generation will always be my first love, but Deep Space Nine has grown in my estimation over the years. I think, like, when it was on in the 90s, they tried different things with experimenting with serialization, like having arcs that kind of extended across entire seasons. And I think it was more difficult to do back in the day when you had to tune in at a specific Mm -hmm. time each week. Because like if you missed an episode, then suddenly you might miss some important piece of information. Nowadays, in the era of streaming in particular, I think people kind of appreciate that a lot more. It always got a lot of credit for the depth of its storytelling and its character building. But structurally, I think it's kind of yeah. gone up. Well, there's what the critics say and there's what the audiences watch. And yeah. The same thing always. For anyone who's unfamiliar with Star Trek, which I can't imagine there are many people listening who... I've never heard of it. Might be people unfamiliar with Deep Space Nine. True. Well, within the Star Trek universe, the late 24th century spacefaring series, Deep Space Nine is set on a space station. That's this sort of ramshackle, recently reclaimed mining station around uh, in orbit around a planet called Bajor. And the sort of disillusioned, jaded Starfleet Captain Sisko arrives to take over and accidentally opens a wormhole across the galaxy that becomes the flashpoint for everything in the seven seasons that follow. It becomes a nexus for trade and contact, but also it's a significant thing in the religion of the Bajorans, who call it the Celestial Temple and have a religion structured around the beings that live there. So... Captain Sisko is torn between his Starfleet duty and becoming a religious figure. And in a lot of ways, the series kind of follows his growth. But there are so many other characters that all have very detailed background and connections that complicate their own relationship with the station and each other and the politics around it and more developments that I won't spoil in case anyone wants to actually watch it from start to finish. But that's the kind of multi-threaded storytelling that I've grown to love and appreciate over the years. From a changeling perspective, once again, we can call back to the first edition core book with the photograph of Dr. Bashir in the opening passage. But aside from that, one of the characters named Odo is a changeling, but the changelings in Deep Space Nine are a rather different species where they're basically uh, gelatinous beings who can mimic other forms. Another significant point of connection is the science officer, Lieutenant Dax, who is a Trill. And the Trill are humanoids, but they have a symbiotic relationship with these worm-like entities that live in their stomach pouches. And when the humanoid host dies, the symbiont, as it's called, is transferred to a new humanoid and passes along a lot of the memories and sort of experiences, even emotional kind of stuff that previous hosts have felt. So it's a really good perspective on how to model reincarnation and remembrance for changelings, where the host is themselves, but they carry all of these memories and inclinations of the past lives as well. You've also got dwelling in the wormhole slash celestial temple, these mysterious, powerful, atemporal beings in an otherworldly realm where they occasionally conflict with their foes who are similarly powerful and atemporal. So it's a little bit like Tuatha and Fomorians, if you will. Uh, There's one episode where a character gets possessed by one of the evil ones, and it makes me think of Denizens of the Dreaming a little bit. There's also straight up an episode with a Leon and she. Not one of the best episodes, but 
she totally is. So there are lots of little connections like that in kind of a game mechanical setting sense. But I also think some of the themes parallel nicely. You get complications in things like what does honor mean? Or where is the line between good and evil? The idea of a religion centered around these mysterious beings who live in this other world. It's not something we see a lot of in Changeling, but it's a question maybe worth exploring if you had like a fey religion in the game. So as sci-fi shows go, like pure sci-fi, I would say this one has a lot of parallels that could be drawn in. So yeah, that's a that's another show, yeah, that's I think still my favorite Star Trek series, although the newest mm. Strange New Worlds is giving it a run for its money. I and, still have uh, to watch that one. It's did you watch Discovery? I think I'm like partway through season three. Okay, imagine Discovery, but like without the problems. But I like the problems. The problems <laughs> give depth. Like the problems in terms of pacing and... Oh, 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 okay. I thought you things... meant like their personal hangups. No, no, no. They have all the personal ha- they have personal hangups and stuff. No, no. Oh, okay, taking great. out the problems with pacing or whatever. It's also, I think, the hottest cast of any TV series of any season. But that's a Ooh-la-la. side point. For every, there's somebody for everybody i think well <laughs> anybody who's where that's a factor for them um yeah but that's it's less changeling that's neither here nor there yes yeah no i i uh, the, the trill from deep space nine they were mentioned they sort of had an episode in tng but they were very different but the ones in deep space yeah. nine yeah that's one of my go-to for explaining like the changeling way to people and how it works it's like okay your face soul is like dax or the trill part or in the... yeah there was a friend of mine a shout out to Daz, if you're listening, who the other day posted a thing online talking about ideas for games and saying, you know, one idea is basically DS9 season one. Would you stop, stop, stop it? And it was because like he was doing voice to text and his kid was kind of like messing around or whatever. So it just got recorded in. But I thought he was saying like, what if there was a game whose premise was you try to prevent the discovery of the wormhole in <laughs> episode one? And I'm like, that's fascinating. Like, prevent the portal to the dreaming from being opened. Why would somebody do that? And so uh, it's it's actually also touches on a lot of the themes Changeling gets into, which is weird for a Star Trek series. Usually, it's different themes. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, can relate to things like banality and glamour and dealing with yeah. the mundane and versus your ideals and not always in the same way Changeling does it, but yeah, it's very. And it's a very delicate kind of approach to glamour in the sense that when you look at something like the original series or next generation, Mm -hmm. and not that DS9 is without this, but often you could cast the glamour of it as being the glamour of discovery, like going out Mm -hmm. and finding things. Whereas Deep Space Nine, a lot of the strange new worlds or strange new cultures or whatever, they come to the station. And that, mm-hmm. in some fundamental way, is a shift that just feels a lot subtler to me. Yeah. It, I kind of like it. I mean, Star Trek in general has got a very utopian bent, but yeah. Deep Space Nine is the one that, more than any of them, even some, not the only one, but the, the most, I think, explores the whole, okay, so like, it's like this hopeful utopian Deep Space Nine's right on the edge where you still have all the banal problems. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. And it's like contrasted very heavily a lot in the series. And Cisco is kind of a banal figure or not a banal one, but he's almost like a Kinane 
who's in banality who occasionally has to be re-enchanted to be like oh right (laughs) well he kind of gets i think by the end of the series he's different but like it's yeah i I don't want to spoil no but his arc is almost like losing banality oh yeah that's definitely true yeah yeah anyway what about uh other 90s shows of note okay so next would be we've got a few cartoons on here but this one's gargoyles by disney it came out in 1994 we'll just pretend there was two seasons because the third one's terrible and (laughs) but the first two are really good and it's a series about well these gargoyles who are like sort of monstrous looking people that turn to stone by day and then come alive at night and it's about a group of them from scotland in the middle ages at some point who kind of go through a it's almost like the she or something like where they get locked away until modern until the 1990s when the show takes place and rediscovering the world it's got like explicitly fey characters yeah. although the gargoyles aren't that i mean same sort of hidden magic weirdness world of the world of darkness people don't know gargoyles are real it is also a star trek show yes it's full of star trek <laughs> actors it's it's kind of next generation ended and they all found work yep well some of them were even doing work like uh kate mulgrew from voyager and stuff so yeah, yeah, yeah too yeah michelle nichols and it's got this like interesting prodigals take on it so it's like three species basically humans gargoyles and fey is how they present it mm-hmm. and like fey cover all sorts of things like odin and puck and Titania and Oberon, but also other creature things and from all yeah. over the world and various mythologies. But there's also other gargoyles from that they encounter. And anyway, it's it's really that was one of the series that really introduced me to world mythology. Now that I'm thinking mm-hmm. about it, I mean, I was yeah. already an avid reader of it, but yeah, that was maybe one of the few examples on television at the time. Mm-hmm. But it's also like Changeling. Like the gargoyles are, they've suffered. There's very few of them left now, and they're like you know trying to figure out how to cope in this world that they don't fit into anymore at least they don't seem to or try to find a way to fit into it definitely a theme of kinship yep i also like how the two seasons of the show there were only two seasons because in the first one they are in a single i guess we could say freehold to an extent (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, they're based in their freehold and they're rediscovering the modern world and trying to balance their lives in it Whereas the second season is a lot more globe trotting, and that's yeah. Just a warning that, that for people going to watch it, season one has thirteen episodes. Season two has fifty-two. Yeah, I had forgotten just how many how long season two was. It's really good, but it's yeah, yeah. But it it gives you kind of the two different ways that you could approach a game. Like you could either mm-hmm. have a game where you stay pretty much in one spot dealing with issues or you can have the ongoing quest from place to place Mm -hmm. and quest they do although actually a lot of season two was also other things but yeah oh yeah it's a big epic quest for some of the characters yeah at least that's the central plot Mm -hmm. for the second season i remember also my high school english teacher who is an expert in Shakespeare and whatnot saying it is the only example of the actual historical Macbeth, like in media ever. Oh, so, so Macbeth is a character voiced by Jean Rhys Davies and mm-hmm. it's not Shakespeare Macbeth. It's like actual, they went to the original Scottish Chronicles and pulled all the names out and got the dates right and everything. So, okay. Anyway. Yeah. 
highly recommend it. And also good changeling inspiration in many ways. The Weird Sisters, they have Faye Mead. Oh, yeah. Anyway. So still in the 90s, I wanted to talk a bit about sort of a catch-all for all of the fantasy and sci-fi miniseries that were on Sci-Fi Channel and the networks and whatever. There were many of these. I grew up watching as many of them as I could. But the three that I want to focus on are Merlin, The Tenth Kingdom, and Alice, which is a little bit later than the others. I think it's 2009. But each of these was, I think Merlin was three episodes. Alice might have only been two. Tenth Kingdom was like eight. So that was a longer miniseries. Merlin, obviously, it's about the titular wizard. And it's set back in Arthurian times, but it draws in a lot of fae stuff as kind of the source of magic and the source of the conflict where the fairy queen Mab is kind of manipulating mortals to try and keep the fae from fading away because it very much talks about how the power of belief is what they need to survive. So that's like a very, I think it's actually really good Dark Ages fae inspiration specifically. And Mab creates Merlin. He's a mortal without a father. And so that gives him the potential to work magic. The Fae are very elemental, so almost like inanime vibes. Mab is the Queen of Air, played by Miranda Richardson. Miranda Richardson also plays the Lady of the Lake, who's the Water Fae. James Earl Jones voices this giant Mountain Fae, who's the one that holds the sword in the stone for Arthur to pull out later. So all of that kind of is in the air, and the Arthurian legends are cast against that backdrop. And a lot of really good actors who, frankly, seem baffled by the content they've signed up for at many points. I'm not going to say it's a great miniseries, but it has like Sam Neill as Merlin, Isabella Rossellini as his love Nimue. It's the first thing I can recall ever seeing Helena Bonham Carter in as Morgan Le Fay, and also Lena Hedy as, or Hedy, Hedy, as Guinevere. And of course, she went on to play Gorgo and Cersei, etc., uh, so she was doing the sassy queen from way back in the day. But it was, I mean, I loved it as a kid. I for sure had the novelizations, which shed a lot more light on the Celtic mythology background for a lot of it. So that was one. The Tenth Kingdom came out a couple of years after that and is probably the most directly changeling-y one, where it's John Lyra Kett is like a building superintendent in New York City and his daughter's a waitress and they're like, oh, we're the working class New Yorkers. But then they accidentally stumble through a magic mirror into the land of fairy tales and have to find their way home. First, though, they have to save the nine kingdoms of fairyland from the evil queen, which is the evil queen from Snow White. So it's lots of Disney tropes and grim tropes with like the fish out of water, modern humans kind of trying to navigate it. It's very schlocky, but I love it. I imagine it was probably inspiration for stuff like fables, Fables, the graphic novel series that we've talked about before. But it's um, cute for what it is, I suppose. And then Alice is a modern retelling of Alice in Wonderland, where in this case, Wonderland is turned into a casino that abducts humans. And as they play the games, they're like enchanted to just kind of play slot machines or whatever. And the residents of Wonderland drain off their emotions and distill them into like cocktails that they drink. So it's a much more unseely economy of ravaging. And Alice, who's a judo instructor, I think, forms an alliance with the Mad Hatter to kind of bring down the system from the inside. 
and she meets like all of the Wonderland characters along the way. The Mock Turtle or someone is played by Tim Curry as like a, a rebel leader or something. And then Cole Meany and Kathy Bates are the king and queen of hearts. Yeah. Also, it's Canadian, so points. Huh. I had never heard of that one before. Yeah, it, it kind of, it was like, it happened, and then I don't think it like ever aired again. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. But the design of like the casino space is this kind of like Escher landscape with all of these stairways and walkways and things, but it's all like rusted and broken down. It's a dreaming that's almost like, banality stained and falling apart and the banality is almost emphasized by the way that the fae in there behave Mm. so the reason i think i wanted to talk about these is because i feel like you don't get these much anymore or at least i haven't noticed them you see a lot of short run seasons of tv shows that'll be like oh netflix orders six or eight episodes but kind of leaves it open-ended like maybe they'll order another season except they almost never do or they cancel it out of nowhere and at the time having those as kind of an alternative to the ongoing series like deep space nine or gargoyles i enjoyed it it felt like it anticipated the prestige tv model or something of having these more limited series that were like higher production value and whatever I think they're good examples structurally for how to do a chronicle that has a fixed end point. Like if you say, I know I'm going to do six sessions of a game, this is the kind of television that I would point people towards to figure out how to do that. And we could add like the Mists of Avalon adaptation. There was an Alice in Wonderland one, like a proper Alice in Wonderland, not this modern sci-fi channel adaptation. So yeah, I have affection for miniseries is the upshot of that okay. next one is one that whenever i bring it up sounds really weird to a lot of people but <laughs> this my first group of people i got into changeling with we use this as the go-to all the time because it was more well known back then to explain changeling society and the like and that's disney's recess the cartoon episodic tv series about a group of i think grade four children basically uh, <laughs> it just sounds like particularly imperfect children they're grade four yeah <laughs> They are, imagine viewing Changeling Society, but you're affected by the mists. This is sort of what you would see, I, th- I feel like it. So the main characters are a, I'll put it this way in Changeling terms, you have a satyr, an Ishu, a Redcap, a Slua, a Troll, and a Knocker, who's like an all-oath circle. And it's like they band together, and it's basically going on adventures in mostly the playground and whatnot. But dealing with the politics and situations, uh, there's like an actual king with a crown who's very Arcadian, Seely, Gwydian, she. There's someone else who like comes across as pretty Bogart, actually. <laughs> um, and and the way they all structure just feels like, you know, there's like a commoner versus noble distinction kind of thing going on. There's But there's also like a group of essentially autumn people teachers, some of them. Not all of them are, but like these mortal, essentially would be like mortals who have no idea what's going on here. And uh, it it just comes across as so changeling in so many different ways when watching it that like, and yeah, that was my go-to. So I had to bring it up as a, it's actually a good inspiration for changeling politics for me. (laughs) I'm ashamed to say I barely remember it at this point. I was never like a, I think I was a bit too old when it started. I mean, I was sort of too, but then like, I watched more of it because... Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
I get that. Mm-hmm. I was too busy rewatching the VHS of Merlin that we had taped off TV. Yep. But yeah, this still actually airs sometimes on places and streams. So. Yeah. You don't need to watch it all. It's not like it's very episodic, so it's not like you need to just sort of jump in wherever. They sort of redid the series later, <laughs> but I haven't seen that. They should have made one for me called Study Hall. <laughs> so next, I have an HBO show that frankly could be a mage series just as much as a changeling series because it's lots of supernatural stuff to be understood through either lens, but this is Carnival, which ran from 2003 to 2005. The basic premise is that the protagonist is this young man named Ben Hawkins, played by Nick Stahl, who's got a troubled and, it's alluded, criminal past in the Depression. He lives on a Dust Bowl farm with his mother, and in the first episode, his mother passes away, and he loses the farm, and he gets picked up by a traveling circus. At the same time, over in California, there's a sort of down-on-his-luck preacher, not down-on-his-luck, but just kind of ordinary preacher named Justin, played by Clancy Brown, who we know from Noble's The Shining Host is actually a she. And he starts having these visions of faith, which he inexplicably starts, I'm not going to say sharing, I'm going to say inflicting on his congregation. And over the course of this series, it becomes clear that the two of them are connected. They start sharing dreams and visions, They start kind of growing in power. Ben's main thing is that he can heal people and Justin can kind of influence his congregation's minds. And slowly it starts becoming more and more evident that they're part of some grand cosmic plan with the traveling circus at the center. Like all of the stuff kind of crosses and connects with that circus. So it's definitely got midnight circus vibes. And I I would not be surprised if the creators of the show read that World of Darkness book. With changeling connections, the nature of good and evil, again, like Seely and Unseely, is explored and very complicated throughout. Lots of morally gray characters, played by fantastic actors. It's got like one of the best casts of television, I think. It's got like Patrick Bacow and Amy Madigan and Michael J. Anderson, Adrian Parbeau. It's great. So the circus itself, I would position as very Unseely, but glamorous. And the preacher and his world are almost like mythical, but banal. I guess he would be a Dantain more than anything else. The circus characters themselves are exactly the mix of personalities you'd expect in a wandering group of like fae, kinane, and dreamers with a variety of deformities and supernatural powers and whatever else. So that kind of trope. And then the road trip story lends itself well to that episodic storytelling. It just gets weird sometimes too. Like there are a few episodes where it really feels like they've entered the dreaming. So I think it's got a good mood to adopt in terms of Changeling Games, that kind of supernatural uncanniness. It's also beautifully, beautifully shot. Wonderful music, wonderful staging and set design and everything. The title sequence is one of the coolest that I've ever seen. It's got like tarot cards that come to life and everything. Yeah, I could definitely say that. I didn't finish the whole series, but the title sequence. Still yeah, the title sequence great. alone is like, I think it won an Emmy for the title sequence. I am of the opinion that the first season is a lot better than the second. I think because in the second, they knew they weren't going to have a third season. So they felt like they had to ramp everything up and then wrap it up. And they didn't really do a great job of that. But the first season 
because it does feel a little more meandering and like you're getting bit by bit towards a climax rather than like throwing everything at you at once. So I'd highly recommend the first season and the second if you feel like finishing it. Content warnings though. I mean, it is an HBO mature audience series and there are some really messed up moments. Yep. So next is a, another Canadian TV series. It's uh, Lost Girl, which yeah. is the... Did, I remember, have you seen that one? I've watched the first season and then like bits here and there of other yeah. episodes. Yeah, it's the super queer series about a succubus fae who learns what she is sort of late later in life than most would and uh is brought forward essentially to her seining although it's a lot more violent than a lot of seinings <laughs> dreaming and is forced to choose between the light fae and the dark fae and she refuses and that's sort of the premise there and she's like navigating this whole world of supernatural it's it's more um they're all fae described as fae but it's like if you took all the prodigals of the world of darkness and more and just said, yeah, they're all fae. Like that's kind of the way the society works. There's just so many different folklore and stuff from everywhere. Sometimes more accurate than others, but yeah. And it's just, it's definitely campy, but I think it's a lot of fun. And yeah, it's got a uh, four seasons, and, no, five seasons, sorry. Great, queer, kooky fun of fairies and stuff. And again, in a hidden world. Yeah, It's probably the most directly changeling series on our list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, there's another one I could argue, but it's definitely the most fairy PC yeah. one or main character ones. I think this is also specifically the only one we're talking about that is called out in the C20 core book. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would I would be shocked if this book was not inspired by Changing the Dreaming, at least by some of the writers. So mm-hmm. right on. So next we have Adventure Time which is a Cartoon Network animated series from 2010 to 2018, although there have also been spin-offs and one-shots and whatever. The basic premise is Finn the human and his best friend Jake the dog live in the land of ooh, which is this trippy fantasy world, but it is hinted to actually be a far future kind of like post-apocalyptic Earth, but they live in the Candy Kingdom and Jake has a crush on its ruler, Princess Bubblegum. As they grow up, they have adventures in other parts of this world and other worlds entirely and meet all kinds of kooky characters. It has a very role-playing adventurer feel because it's like, we're going on an adventure. We're going on a quest. We're going to slay the dragon. We're going to get the treasure. Yeah, they explicitly talk about D&D alignments for various characters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's the rare animated show that I think actually kind of matures with its characters. It reminds me almost of like if you started playing make believe and then you kept finding a way to keep going rather than giving up on it because it gets boring or die trying or anything. And what could be more changeling than that? Yeah. Um, it's definitely lighthearted with an edge. <laughs> like it, it also gets very surreal at times, which I appreciate. It also is one of the most realistic relationships I've like yeah. relationships I've seen between the dog and the what's what's she rainicorn. There we go. Oh, true. Yeah, it's got the best chimerical companions. Like if you need inspiration yeah. for chimerical companions, look no further. Mm-hmm. In terms of narrative structure, it's good for inspiration to do like an episodic but still open ended chronicle, especially if you're planning to do a full on dreaming romp thinking about it the thing in dreams and nightmares where they talked about like 
the kind of bedlam that mortals go through when they stay in the dreaming. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I perceive Finn here. Like he just kind of accepts everything around him, even though it's completely bonkers and he's human. Mm-hmm. And even the throwaway characters, like the ones who pop up for just a scene or a shot, often they have kind of backstories. The show does a really good job of throwing motivation or background into even just like a line or two of dialogue or something flashing across the screen. Yeah. So. I wish I was that skilled at like throwing out random NPCs, right, so... especially like you're in the dreaming and there's like a new yeah. chimera for a scene and it's like a whole history and loves and losses. And, and they're on screen for like five seconds. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's clearly made with love. And I mean, it's, it's got such an enthusiastic fan base. I think mm-hmm. the voice acting is great. I remember watching the original short when it aired on YouTube and like not aired on YouTube when someone uploaded it to YouTube in like 2008 and I watched it with a bunch of university friends and we were all like, this is either going to go nowhere or it's going to be the best thing ever. And I'm very happy that it turned into the latter. Yep. So, so yeah, another uh, cartoon series. I was trying to do this in order, but I got mixed up. That's also great for Chimera Companion is Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. I think we would have been like drawn and quartered if we didn't mention this show. <laughs> it's a orphanage for abandoned imaginary friends. Like I, I can't think of something <laughs> that is such a changeling premise. And basically, like the main characters, essentially, like a kinane who ends up sort of working, volunteering, whatever for at this orphanage, and it's just there's like one mortal employee who's just like this is ball i think she's just enchanted she can change like terms and it's just like yeah whatever it's, it's just it's very bonkers as well but it, it, i i i think this would work if you wanted to run a change of the dreaming game without any pcs being changeling this would work you know use the chimerical companion rules or some variation there of character creation and maybe one person gets to play kinane and you just go through everything weird adventures they have and stuff and trying to find homes for people and it's very it's a lighthearted kid show but at the same time there's like there's some dark stuff that happens sort of i have a, a confession to make which is i actually haven't seen it it's it's another one of those you could probably just maybe watch the first episode and then randomly watch a few kind of thing yeah. but yeah it it this could give you like you could do a easily do a whole chronicle based around the premise of this series and then you just grab stuff from this oh yeah i mean the concept i'm 100 percent on board with yeah it's almost too obvious that's the <laughs> how long did it run for six seasons oh all right but again because it's like, like those episodic things like i think they do reference things from other stuff but it's not like it's no deep space nine in that regard you don't you don't have to start from the beginning and watch no. all the way nice yeah i mean adventure time is like that too i think yeah but it's also like the all the imaginary friends are like these are amazing chimerical companion chimera Mm -hmm. characters Mm -hmm. like there's a chicken-like bird with palm tree-like hair can only say or write her name there's like so she's a pokemon and a gray or white elderly anthropomorphic lop-eared rabbit friend of the basically in third stage bedlam owner of the home and who's like the responsible one it's excellent yes and many other things like recommend it highly for that nice my last one for this episode is stranger things cue synth pop music and it's four seasons so far on netflix from 2016 onward but i'm gonna focus on the first season here because i think it's the most changeling-y 
The basic premise is that it's a group of nerd kids in suburban 1980s Indiana who love playing Dungeons and Dragons, and they find their world turned upside down when one of their group disappears, but they find a mysterious girl in the woods. Meanwhile, a bunch of teens are disappearing. A couple of the older siblings of the D&D kids are caught up in it, and there's some adults trying to figure things out, and at the center of that, there's a shadowy government facility who seems to be pulling the strings or responsible somehow for the mysterious goings-on. So it's a mix of kind of like teen romance and stylized portrait of small town life and otherworldly horror, very, very heavily steeped in 80s homages and cultural references, kind of like equal parts Friday the 13th, I think that's the, or maybe Nightmare on Elm Street, that's the one, uh, Twin Peaks, which is another show we could probably interpret through the changeling lens, and E.T., the extraterrestrial. So it's definitely got that vibe. With changeling connections, I think that you can very easily cast the otherworldly realm they deal with, which they call the upside down as the dreaming, a very dark dreaming. Very nightmare. Very nightmare. (laughs) Lots of nightmare chimera running around, and not just chimera in some cases. If you want to see how the weird read works for a nightmare, a, a nervosa, or a nocnitsa, this is your show. Mm-hmm. But also thematically, I mean, you've got the kids kind of walking that line between fantasy and banality as they're kind of on the cusp of growing up and whatever. But then also with the adults, you've got kind of banality on one side with, so the mother of the kid who disappears is played by Winona Ryder. And she is so good at nailing that like mortal on the edge of a glamour infused breakdown. (laughs) There's a scene where slight spoiler ish, but she's let's say she's communicating with someone on the other side using Christmas lights. And it's just such a great like visual scene, the kind of thing that I'd like to see in a changeling game, but really good, just good overall for exploring dark glamour, I think. Yeah, I think Winona Ryder's character is also an excellent inspiration for playing a mortal in a changeling game, if you wanted to. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the acting the acting overall is pretty good. The first season, though, it's just the most coherent. It works on its own mm-hmm. because it doesn't give too much away. It doesn't get bogged down in, like, piling on more and more mythology like it did in later seasons. So you could really just watch the first season and then stop and have a really good source of inspiration along a lot of different lines. Yeah. yeah. I, I recommend. Uh, my last series is another on the nose changeling, but in a slightly different way than Moss Girl or Foster's for that matter. It is a New Zealand sort of, I don't know if it was prime time, but like, you know, like, like the soap operas, but not like the daytime soap, like the like evening soaps. That, a a uh, TV drama. TV drama, but it's definitely got like campion overly dr- melodrama. I'd call it a TV melodrama. TV melodramedy. Yeah. It's the Almighty Johnsons. It's about a group of Norse gods who've, for reasons that no one really was sure about anymore, reincarnates within humans, kind of related ones, but it's not like in, it's sort of in a family, who've been diminished greatly in their god powers. And are trying to live their like normal lives, but also their gods and dealing with god stuff. But it's intruding a lot. Some of them have pretty cool powers. Some of them have kind of eh powers. And 
it's very rare for them to actually be consistently useful in the mortal world <laughs> with their powers. <laughs> and, you know, there's like this thread of like, maybe they can finally get ascend to become, get their old powers back. There's the mists. Oh. It works slightly differently. And they don't call it the mists, but it's definitely like the mists in terms of how things work and people will, mortals will forget things and stuff under certain conditions. And I mean, the reincarnation works when you turn 21, not when you're born, but you even see some gods, like two different versions of them, like who they were before and who they are, how it changes. You see mortals basically going through the chrysalis. Well, has another group of gods from different religion. Which Pantheon. Pantheon. There's another Pantheon they deal with at some point. It's more New Zealand specific than like Nunahi, but it's like a similar kind of like everyone's very confused interaction by each other. Yeah. And there's just so much of like, it's like, you know, things about the Fae, but you're like very, everything's been garbled by history. And your memories aren't great of what's going on, but you have some memories and it's whole fate aspect plays into a lot of fit with Norse mythology. So it's like, yeah, if you, if you took sort of different folklore and mythology, whatever inspirations, and then made something very changeling, the dreaming. Is how I put it. so. It's another one that I'm ashamed to admit I haven't seen yet. Yeah. Yeah. That one, like there's, it's not, it used to be streaming on Netflix. Now it's not on anything. Like I think I've seen like a scene on YouTube or something that someone sent me. Yeah. But and again, it's one of those like the pilots a bit slow kind of thing as they're setting things like with like a lot of pilots. And yeah, there's so many great characters in it. And even the characters that you're like, eh, at first actually turn out to be great and at least fun to see. Yeah. Well, that's ten options, but there are so many more. <laughs> yeah, let's do notable mentions. Yeah, notable mentions. I mean, I th there's so many shows that I love and would have loved to mention, but just don't really fit into what I would consider like changeling inspiration. I would love to say Buffy, but I'm like, is Buffy really a changeling show though? Well, and there's also other things we could have done, but there's just too many shows. To yeah. <laughs> yeah. We talked about whether to do American Gods. Yeah, which definitely is a good fit. Uh, Doctor Who is, I wouldn't say Doctor Who as a whole is a good fit, but it's like, the way the regenerations work for time lords is like another sort of take on like just like the trill in deep space nine of yeah incarnations of the same person is like you're the same person but you're also not the same person i was in a long-running changeling game in the before times before covid the title of the chronicle was codename the childlings next door which was inspired by the tv show codename kids next door which mm -hmm. i would say is a fairly changeling show also, shout out to when we did our um, Nunyi Roundtable episode and our guest Liam mentioned Reservation Dogs, which mm -hmm. for a Nunyi inspiration show seems like pretty hard to beat. And a bunch of suggestions from people on Discord. <laughs> so most of these I've heard of at least. I mean, someone said Uncle Grandpa, don't know anything about it. Last of the Summer Wine. I only know that the guy who voiced Wallace from Wallace and Gromit is in it, but apparently it's three delinquent grumps wandering around the Peak oh, District. there's another TV series. If that is, is Wallace and Gromit a TV series even? No, no, no. I mean, okay. short films. But... Okay, that's not really... Anyway, that could be another one. But yeah, also <laughs> inspirational. <laughs> Doom Patrol is mentioned here, and I have a friend who keeps insisting that I watch Doom Patrol. I have yet to see it, but... Yeah, I've seen it. I can see the inspiration thing. It's very like what happens in a lot of changeling games where you have these different people from who've got like these different powers and abilities and personalities that don't quite mesh and they're all sort of stuck together. Along the similar line would be Umbrella Academy, 
I'd say. I, I yeah, again, I have to still see that one, but I've heard great things. So. That one's they're very similar, dark like take on superhero families almost, but like very mm. dysfunctional families. So there's the Owl House, which is mentioned, Carnival Row, Jonathan Strange. Jonathan Strange actually, because it's also a miniseries and an adaptation. And I've discovered that I'm picky about adaptations. I didn't used to be, but then I started adapting all of the books that I really love. And Mm -hmm. now I've learned that sometimes I get snotty about like, well, that's not what I think the character would be like. Yeah, I try to treat adaptations as completely different. But it also means the one thing that's true is just because you liked one thing doesn't mean you'll like the adaptation of it. Or you might like the adaptation and not like the source material. Exactly, yeah. And and circling back to Neil Gaiman, uh, some of our listeners suggested Sandman and Neverwhere in addition to American Gods. Neverwhere is interesting because it was actually written for television and then adapted into a novel. A bunch of people talked about Grimm. I haven't seen Grimm. I was surprised nobody mentioned Once Upon a Time, but those both seem... Yeah, Grimm and Once Upon a Time both are the same level of... It's like Lost Girl, but not quite as much an inspiration for Changeling, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, like it's further away, but you can still see what they're getting at. The Dark Crystal TV series. We also have a question that mentions a series, which is a really interesting idea as an adaptation. Which one was that? From Ferret. Do you believe certain genres of show may work better for different elements of Changeling the Dreaming, such as 80s cartoons for for Dreaming, or keeping up appearances for the... Keeping up appearances for the Dauntane? Now, I'd say keeping appearances is more like a absolute autumn person yeah but as an inspiration for an autumn person (laughs) where because some people think oh autumn people they get along really well in mortal society no no hyacinth no 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 everybody hates hyacinth like it's (laughs) it's not hyacinth bouquet the banality of hyacinth bugs everybody in the series but i think she's a great uh, uh autumn person inspiration for sure yeah definitely yeah but inspirations for pieces Yes. To the broader question about certain genres working better for different elements of Changeling, I'd say probably. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd break it by genre, but yeah. works, certain works definitely are good inspiration for this piece of Changeling. And this works just, we've, we've done that. We talked about it. Like, yeah. The inspiration that's Deep Space Nine is very different from the inspiration that's Lost Girl. Right. They address different parts of Changeling. It comes down to the distinction again between like setting, theme, and mood. Because. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can say I love watching Monty Python for the absurdist, like, humor and non-sequitur kind of thing, and I want to include that in my Changeling game. But there's nothing in Monty Python inherently about the Fae or about keeping wonder alive or finding balance. Like, So being able to break those components across, I would say probably certain genres do tilt at, at each of those components more than others, maybe but mm-hmm. they don't have to. There's also chronicle inspirations. Like you could do Blackadder as a series of over the years, like Autumn Fay in different generations, the same characters. And, and there's lots of shows that you can look at as changeling texts, even if, even if you don't find them inspirational. Yeah, that's what I was doing with Disney's Recess. It just yeah. really looked at change as a changeling. Yeah. I mean, I've looked at Downton Abbey as like, two she and two boggins manipulating an entire estate and it's wonderful <laughs> so that's a fun game yeah had with, once i've been, had enough changeling people around me like we'll go and we'll just be like this work what's the kith of everybody in this show and what's yeah 
Yeah, in, in summary, I would say, I guess this kind of applies across the board to any kind of TV inspiration, but what counts is anything that helps you better develop the structure of your chronicle or helps you storytell into a headspace or an emotional space that you're aiming for or tackles the themes of Changeling, then I would say. Yeah, or explain aspects of Changeling or inspiration for players. Like you might yeah. really like this one character from this series and be like, especially the ensemble series where you're going to be probably playing in a group. Well, to draw in another show that we didn't talk about, there was that meme going around for a while that was like, pick the three characters from television that best represent you. And I picked Jedzia Dax, Puck from Gargoyles, and the great Gonzo from The Muppet Show. Yep. So Muppets are a great changeling fodder as well. Pushing daisies. Syphil and Ollie we mentioned. Yeah, it's, it's hard to find a scripted TV series that could in some way be helpful for your chronicle. I think part of that, I'm going to put on my media theory hat for just a second here and suggest that like what Jean Baudrillard calls the hyper real. And I think that there's a little bit of that aspect in the sense that television as a medium hyper realizes its content. Mm-hmm. Like, it's always going to be more intense and larger than life because it's this manufactured kind of artificial representation of what it is. And Changeling, I think maybe more than, with the possible exception of Mage, Changeling more than any other World of Darkness game leans into that as well. I mean, what is the dreaming if not a more intense version of whatever is in it? Yeah, Changeling also has like all these competing themes and elements and factions and where chances are there's something like pick a random tv series or something that it'll like fit somewhere into changeling yes from the how diverse changeling is just channel surf until something clicks if you need banality just turn on c-span yeah we have a weird ontario government run tv station that's like if you want to get like really in-depth politics about very local issues with like a lot of like like you know like a news hour style format or some of that. So. Oh, do you know what's a gem is public access television? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've gone down the rabbit hole of Stairway to Stardom on YouTube, but it is a trip. Oh, we used to have some stuff when back when I had cable a long time ago. That for for the kids in the audience, public access television is what people used when they just had to get themselves out there, but before YouTube existed. Does it does it still exist? Generally? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's. So like New York, for example, New York City was like a paradise of public access weirdness. <laughs> so, different regions had different relationships with public access TV. Yeah. Actually, Toronto had a big figure that was actually like Americans had heard of her, which was the Sex with Sue series. Oh my. And she passed away. She's like a Canadian Dr. Ruth kind of thing. Oh. She passed away recently. But yeah, she, I remember watching that and being like, I didn't know what grab all was, but she mentioned it a lot as a... Oh dear. Good thing to take for stuff. <laughs> well, on that note. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Watch TV, everybody, but like in moderate amounts. Yeah, don't too much. It'll uh, yeah, definitely be your analogy thing. Um, so, yeah, that uh, sums it up here. You can find us at changelingthepodcast.com. It's our website. You can email us, podcast at changelingthepodcast.com. Please join our Discord community. We've got a lot of people there, and it's 
continuing to grow. That's great conversations there. Uh, Discord.me slash CTP. If you want to patronize us, you can join our Patreon. Changeling the podcast? Yeah. You can send us a toot. Changelingpod at dice.camp. You can you can join our Facebook, Changeling the Podcast. And we have a YouTube channel, Changeling Yay. the Podcast, where these episodes are getting uploaded with some visuals. Slowly but surely. Links to all of the above will be in the show notes for this episode, for your link-clicking convenience. Yeah, and once again, I'm Josh. I've been cast as Puka. It's now, I think, time to turn off the television. Don't touch that dial! Deep within the dreaming lies the Empire of Flickers, home of the Anonyme born from shapes and light, whose population has exploded since the advent of electronic image technology. In between the mansions of Camera Obscura and the pixelated Wonderland lies the endless soundstage, where dreams of characters from television shows throughout history abide. Crystal Circle scholars have pointed uneasily to this realm as an example of Autumn's intrusion into the dreaming, because for every psychedelic phantasmagoria born out of 70s children's animation, there is a counterbalancing death spiral of banality in the shape of home video compilation shows. Fragments of laugh tracks and incidental music echo through its halls, and strands of the digital web grow like weeds through the joists in its corners. The Crystal Circle has further decided that a formal expedition to assess the nature and danger of this region is needed, for which they are soliciting support from Kithane Hither and Yon. If you'd like to support the cause, know that a fraction of proceeds from our Patreon will be diverted that way. You can sign up at www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast to make your contribution, as the following valued listeners have already done. Derek. Dorchadas, Oreo, Razgabuz, Sanchiger, Sija, Terry Robinson, and Tricerabeth. In any case, we always appreciate your help to get the word out about our show by leaving a review on the podcast listening platform of your greatest convenience, or just by passing it along to your friends. Don't sit up too late in front of that glowing screen, and until next time, keep on dreaming.